Hey, this is Joe Bakmotsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Listen, I don't know about you, but for me, cancer has become such a rare commodity these days because it's so hard to do. You have to set aside your ego. You have to put your worries aside about how other people see you. But it also gives you this incredible power of clarity. And that is how I would describe Matt Featherstone, our guest today. Matt is for real. Matt doesn't screw around. He, he, he takes his honesty and he turns it into insight, into how you can shift your focus during cancer, onto how you can manage your energy, like how you can set the ground rules with those people you care about and why some people fade away. Matt has some fantastic advice for dealing with cancer, so I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of this. Matt, thank you so much for doing this. As I said, like, I really appreciate your time and, um, right, yeah, I've been really looking forward to this. Yeah, very happy to help. It's, uh, it's a worthy cause. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, the first I want to ask is, how did you react when you first found out that you had cancer? Yeah, I remember it distinctly. Uh, it's one of those big life events, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Look, uh, I suppose I was very similar to many blokes. Uh, we've got 19 things going on in our heads at once, and I got a call <laughs> from my GP, and uh, I remember um, coming out of the office, and, and, and uh, I share an office with my wife, and saying, uh, oh, uh, sweetie, I've got some bad news. We uh, we better put aside some time to talk. <laughs> so, so I wasn't, I didn't drop everything. I think it took me quite some time that uh, that evening before I actually stopped work and, and uh, went into the other office and said, look, we, we've got a problem. It's got nothing to do with the business. We've got a problem here. So I guess the short answer is I was a bit numb, actually. I wasn't expecting it. And uh, I think it was, uh, as I say, quite some hours. And then, of course, you know, Seeing her face uh, really made a very big difference to uh, to my evening, and uh, you know we we literally turned the entire office off and just went and sat down and had a cup of coffee and went. Well, we weren't expecting that. <laughs> what are we going to do? So it was uh, it was a bit of a shock. Yeah, it, it doesn't hit you right away. Um, exactly. I think you like you said. I felt shocked i felt numb and i felt like the kind of whole world stopped and and came to a close like everything slowed down and and like this the whole sound was muffled it's yeah. just it's just a really bizarre feeling because it's just you're unexpected right it, it, it is it, it's it's a very unusual experience and uh, well i suppose one of the positive things joe is that uh, you know since then i guess like most people we, we've had other things that have happened out of left field uh, not expecting them, uh, and uh, you know, sometimes nothing to do with health, but just things in the family. And I must admit, we, uh, as a family unit, now we're better at taking unexpected bad news and doing something with it than we were before. So there was an upside. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's the, that's a positive uh, take on it, Matt. And I think that's because you're confronted with uh, confronted with it, like you're forced to deal with it, right? You kind of have to you have to find a way. Yeah, that's right. You, you're exactly right, Joe. You, it, it's almost like there's a, a moment now that you can't go back on. The die is cast and you need to do something. It's, you're right. It, it's, a, it's a very specific type of life event that um, you've just got to deal with in a, in a sense. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and how, like your family, your friends, I just mentioned your wife, she obviously was in a shock, but 
how did they react and and did they support you in a way that you wanted to be supported? Oh, look, that's a great question. Uh, look, firstly, I would say that some of my friends didn't make it through the experience of being a friend with me while I had cancer. And, you know, at the time, I think I was um, a little disappointed, I think, would be uh, would be the honest way of, of, of describing that. But yeah. I must admit now that I've come through you know, five years of cancer free, you know, and Joe, that was a great celebration. I must say that was a big party. <laughs> I, I, I now look back on the, the new group of friends or at least the refreshed group of friends that I have, let's put it that way. And I must say it's the, the, the friends that I have now have a, a, a more of an alignment, I think, with the way that I view the world post-cancer. And I think that's a very good thing. I, I think that's a very positive thing because uh, I, I still occasionally find myself thinking about cancer and some of the the issues that I had and the way I responded and and this newer group of friends of mine are, are very useful um, if I could use that word they're very supportive that's a better word they're very supportive when sometimes I say you know what I kind of want to talk about something you know that that happened when I had cancer. Uh, so I thought it was a – I now think it was a positive experience in terms of my friends. In terms of my family, yes, uh, my immediate family uh, were very good, I, I guess because they're right there with me. They're in the same house as me and, you know, at the time anyway, our kids have grown up now, but at the time they were here. Um, so they couldn't kind of remove themselves from the situation at all. Um, and, and they responded very well, my, my, my wife and my immediate family. My extended family, so, you know, I'm talking about parents and brothers and, look, that was variable. I, I had, without naming names, but I had um, some issues there with people that found it very difficult to come to grips with this and the way they dealt with it was to keep their contact with me to a minimum. And I get why. Yeah, I do. I understand why, but... Yeah, why? Why? Well, in, look, in summary, um, I had a type of cancer that is partially um, hereditary in the sense that you're genetically predisposed to it. Uh, and that meant that the males in my extended family uh, started thinking obviously about themselves, and I get that. I totally get it. And that meant that part of their response was less because they were thinking about themselves. Uh, and I, I totally get that. I, if I was in their shoes, I'm sure I would have thought to myself, well, I'm going to get tested, you know. I better make sure this is not going to happen to me. Uh, and one of the members of my extended family did find a very high indicator. So I get it. I get why. But I, I guess I may have had, a, I suppose, an unrealistic expectation around my extended family and how they would react, and that took a little bit of adjustment from me. Yeah, so uh, thank you for honesty, Matt, because it's such it's such a hard topic to uh, to talk about. But I think it's it's very necessary because I think people need to hear this stuff. Because I think uh, the, you know, the more people I talk to, I find this over and over again that this happens to people. These patterns come up time and time again. You know? Yeah, you're right. Um, and although we can rationalize it, like I just did, I think Joe, it's fair to say that when it actually happens, it's a little bit more emotional than the way I just described it. We, you know, I certainly I did. I don't think I reacted terribly well in the moment to somebody that, you know, wanted to go and find out whether they 
may have had an indicator rather than asking me about how I was going. I think I probably overreacted a bit. Uh, and it's, I think it's fairly human to do that because uh, of the fact that we're in it. <laughs> you know, we've got it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. So I think it's 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 really great that you know you kind of processed a lot of a lot of this negative stuff and, and moved on. I really want to go back to uh, your friends for a second. I think it's incredibly encouraging that you know you found uh, what you refer to as a refreshed group of friends. And in terms of friends, I think because that that would be different from your from your extended family. Like I, I, I want to try to understand what is your perspective because because I kind of went through it probably more recently, and to me it's still pretty painful. And I don't understand why the people that I expected to be there for me, you know, like uh, why they pretty much just dropped out completely or, or pretty yeah. much disappeared, you know, when, when I really expected them to be there. Like what sort of process did you go through to think about that? And is there any explanations that you found yourself? Yeah. And look, I do. I have two things that help me rationalize and understand why some of my previous friends didn't come through the whole journey. I think the first thing, Joe, is when you get diagnosed with cancer, some people find it extremely hard to properly understand how long the journey is going to be. They perhaps think it's like you're going in to get a, some surgery done and in a week or two's <laughs> time, you know, you're going to be okay. And of course, you and I both know that that's not the case. So the first thing I'd say is that some people can't understand the length of the journey and that, you know, we're going through a five-year journey and sometimes more. And because they don't understand that, they they drop away. They literally go, well, I don't know what to do. You know, I've, I've been there to hospital. I've talked to him and, I, you know, I don't really know what to do and come back, what, do I talk about the same thing? I think that's kind of one reason. And I think the second reason is that some people just aren't good with illnesses. They, I, you know, one case I remember in my own set of previous friends, you know, they're not good with illnesses. I think illness is a little bit of a weakness. And, you know, someone's just giving the cancer illness too much time. And they think, you know, why, why give something like that so much of your time and effort? And, of course, you know, they don't realise that that's entirely what cancer is going to do. It is going to take up just about every moment of your waking life, right, uh, for <laughs> quite a while. They don't get that. They, uh, it's almost like they think it's like the flu, you know, like get on with it. I think that's probably a male thing, Joe. I'm not sure it was a female thing. I know I've got female friends. I think it was more my male friends that were kind of a little bit, a little bit, uh, wanting to see me come out the other end more quickly and and spend less time talking about cancer than I did. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right. I think it's it's the different mo modality of cancer. Like, I mean, I even if I take uh, just uh, you know the nine weeks of, of chemotherapy that I went to, like my entire paradigm has shifted. Like, I became an entirely yes. different person, and for them, right. it was just business as usual. You know? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. All right. I think you're right, Joe. It, it, we start changing the way that we're interacting with our illness and they don't because they don't understand that. I mean, that's just, they're observing it, but they don't really get it. I think you make a great point there. Yeah, Matt. And, and, and what is it that's different about men facing cancer? Like, do, do we have different needs? Do, do we express things differently? I, I think so. And I'll give you two reasons for that. I think the first thing is that Generally speaking, we as men don't tend to ask other people for help as much as our female friends do. And so um, what happens, I think, a little bit is, to be brutally honest, we 
we don't address things that we should do, we don't ask for help, and so things get a little worse than they need to be. Now, I'll give you an yep. example. In my case, I had a bad reaction to uh, one of the general anaesthetics. I had three operations, and one of them, you know, I don't know whether it was a, a ratio of a gas or whatever it was, and I ended up in ICU. And I wasn't really helping myself terribly much in ICU. I wasn't being a very nice patient, to be honest. Um, and, and I wasn't communicating properly to the nurses and I wasn't trying to help myself, um, by asking for help. And that just made, when I look back on it, that was a silly thing to do. It made my stay in ICU a lot longer than it needed to be. And, you know, I probably had some ramifications of that, but if I, been a little bit more sensible and asked for help, I probably wouldn't have had some of the other problems that I had post the operation. So I think that's the first thing. You know, ask for, you know, we need to ask for help a bit more than we naturally do. I think the second thing is the expressing. I think you ask a very good question there. Um, I think as men, we tend to express things in terms of a logical, if you like, way of <laughs> yeah, expressing yeah, yeah. Rather than the emotional way of expressing something, we, we tend to say, here's my problem. What do you guys think? Rather than here's my problem. This is how I'm feeling about it. What do you guys think? And because we don't kind of talk about our feelings as much, we tend to get back a very logical response as well. Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you tried that? You know, why aren't you doing this? And, of course, some of those things mightn't be a terribly good idea given how we're feeling at the moment. You know, I'll give you a simple example. In my particular case, I was very sick um, after one of the uh, surgeries I had. And so someone that said, you know, uh, uh, Matt, how are, you, how are you going today? And I said, well, you know, I'd love to go for a cup of coffee, but I can't. Have you got any other suggestions? You know, that was a bit silly of me. I should have probably said, I'd love to go for a cup of coffee, but I feel sick. You know, I'm going to throw up if I have a cup of coffee. Do you mind if we go and just have a wander around the garden and, you know, talk about something? I should have said that. If I'd said that, then the other, you know, the person that was there in the room at the time would have gone, well, I understand the way you're feeling. That's all right. How about we do this? <laughs> so, yeah, I thought, I think you made a great point. I think we, we probably need to explain a little bit more about how we're feeling, the emotional side of things, and uh, try to ask for more help rather than try to do it ourselves. Yeah, I completely agree with you because as men, we tend to want things to make sense. And when it comes to cancer, a lot of a lot of things just simply don't align. A lot of them simply don't make sense. Yeah, you're right. Particularly in terms of the medical profession, I think one of the biggest learnings I had was to spend the time in waiting rooms actually reading up about the procedures and what can be some of the side effects of the procedures and what some of the frequently asked questions are about the procedures because that really did help me to then interact with the medical profession in a way that enabled them to give me a much better answer. I think what happens is they're, they're so busy that they, they tend to answer questions in a very short way because they've got patients waiting and all that sort of thing. But I noticed when I said, well, actually, you know what, I've read this study and it says this and I'd like to ask you what your view is on that and how I can stop having that problem later on in life. And they, they would then reset and go, okay, this guy actually has some background. I, you know, I'm going to give him a much better answer. And that was, of course, much better for me. Absolutely. It's better to ask informed questions when, when, yeah. you're, uh, when you know what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. And also, Matt, like, I, I think that also it, it's, it's very important 
for us men to kind of take step back a little bit because I, I feel that you know quite often yeah, we, we want to be in control of things we want to be in charge we want to know exactly what's going on and quite often that's that's not really what happens right with, with cancer sometimes we just we have to let things take its course a little bit you're Would right. you agree with that yeah and of course we as blokes we find that pretty hard to do we kind of wide a bit to try to at least take control whether we can or not it's a different matter but we try to and you're right there's a lot of things in that journey in cancer where you can't take control of it it's going to take as long as it's going to take and i remember joe saying that to myself a few times so like you know Matt, there's nothing you do to speed this up let it go let it go for as long as it's going to go try to learn as much as you can about this while you're waiting you know and just yep try not to do their job for them. I remember being quite sort of, you know, pointed with myself just to stop doing that. Yeah, that makes so much sense. No matter, I know that your your daughter was also diagnosed with cancer. I mean, that, that is absolutely the worst thing that, that I can imagine. It, it, it's crazy. But I also understand that all of this, all of these crazy events have, has brought your family together. How did that come about? And what would you advise someone about bringing in your family on, uh, together on this on this cancer adventure? Ah, great question. Yes. In fact, our daughter was diagnosed a week after me. So we just had one of those perfect storms that happens sometimes in life. And, but the thing that brought us together was because I was one week ahead of, and it doesn't sound a lot of time, but you and I both know, Joe, that in that one week, you're really getting started. You know, you, you've, you've gone <laughs> yeah. and spoken to people, you've been to medical appointments, you've got tests done, you've, you know, you've done quite a bit in that first week because you have to. Um, yeah. but, but what happened to us, Joe, was that because I'd had that experience, I'd already found quite a few people who'd been through the type of cancer I had and I got them to come and talk to me and in some cases talk also to my wife. And, and we started to be able to understand how that was going to affect the family because we could hear their stories, you know, and some of those stories weren't great, by the way. So it was about how we're going to avoid some of the problems that other families had. But some of yep. them were really good stories about how, uh, for example, one family we heard about had some rules that when, that they were not going to use highly emotive language when they were talking about the cancer. They were going to take five and, if they couldn't talk about their feelings in a constructive manner in the family, they were literally not going to say anything. And we found those little tips to be extremely useful because we could start to say, well, look, why don't we do that in our family? Let's have that rule. That sounds like a great rule. Why don't we do that? You know, we're going to go away this weekend. We're going to forget about cancer for a weekend. We did a whole stack of things that we'd learned from other families had been useful that would work in our case. And, and that helped a lot to deal with my cancer, but also our daughter's cancer. She was a lot younger, uh, obviously. Um, she was uh, 17, so she was quite young. And, you know, that brought its own challenges, and we really needed to speak some, to some people in their family that had someone with, with cancer at that age. And I think really, Joe, that was, that, that was a very big learning, was to educate ourselves by talking to others who'd been there before. Yeah, that, that's the biggest learning, isn't it? So, how did you find those other families that, to talk to and, and and find those rules that you can some of them incorporate and in, into your life? Well, the first thing we did was we 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 went out to our extended family. So, you know, my family, my wife's family, and we said, "Hey, this is happening to us. 
you're going to need to give us a little bit of flexibility in terms of what we've committed to do. Like we won't be going to dinner at this date and, you know, we're not doing this birthday party and all sorts of things sort of, you know, we had to decommit on because now we've really got to focus on this. And, of course, it's a bit like six degrees of separation. You know, some of our extended families came back and said, well, actually, I know somebody, you know, would you like to talk to them? And, of course, we said, yes, can you put them in touch? Uh, we also got quite a number of people from my GP and my surgeon and from our daughter's surgeon. Uh, they seemed to have just, we were very lucky, quite a number of patients who were willing to talk about their experiences and they didn't know us, but they were very kind to take a phone call and we could ask them questions and they talked to us about what they did in their families. And, and of course, you know, there was, there's the Cancer Council and, and they have a number of ways of connecting families in who are either experiencing cancer themselves or caring for someone with cancer. And they, they'll put you in touch with these people and you can ask them questions. So, we, we, we actually found we had a, a very great number of people we could talk with, and uh, we did a lot of that in that very first week of being diagnosed. That's fantastic, Matt. So you, you really tackled it early. And, and I love your concept of, of little C. Can you talk about <laughs> what that is and, and how that's, uh, that's helped you tackle cancer? Little C, Joe, came about because um, uh, in, a, in a waiting room one evening, I, I, got, I had a, an iPad, I think, and I started sort of saying, right, what am I worried about? I just started writing, uh, what am I uh, worried about? And I, I just dumped a whole stack of issues and, and questions and anxieties onto this page in my iPad. And then I went back and looked at that and I went, my goodness, you know, cancer itself is actually not the biggest worry that I've got at the moment. My biggest worry is what happens if I don't come out the other end? You know, what happens if this is it for me? That was a much bigger issue than dealing with cancer. Wow. Uh, and then the second biggest issue, uh, again, more important than cancer, was what was going to happen to my family, you know, and, and how, how is my potential demise, not to put, you know, too fine a point on it, was going, what was going to happen to them and have I got my affairs in order and, you know, and I went, okay, wait a minute. So, and then I came up with this idea, I'm going to call it little C from the perspective that there are much bigger issues that I need to address at the same time and I need to get that squared away in my head. I'm not going to dump that on people. I'm going to get my own, you know, my own thoughts together on what's going to happen to me uh, if I die. And, uh, and I found that by putting it, I guess, in perspective with those bigger issues, um, that it ended up taking that, you know, the little C. It became the little C. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't think it was important. As I say, I was, I was, it's very much in parallel. I was giving time to what was going to happen to me. And if I did die, you know, and, I, and, and they said, sorry, we tried everything and you're not going to make it out the end. And I knew how I was going to react to that. And I had my fears in order. But in parallel, I was still going as fast as I could to get to all the appointments and, uh, get the bookings done on the tests and get myself in a hospital and get myself fit and all that sort of thing. So it was going on in parallel, but it did it did mean that cancer itself took a little bit of a smaller sort of priority over against some pretty larger questions. That's fantastic, Matt, because it's, it's such a positive reframe. Like it really, really yeah. puts, uh, puts cancer in its place. Yeah, you're right. It is a reframe. I've never thought of that. You're right, Joe. It is a reframe, yeah. 
<laughs> and I don't know about you, man, but like I have a lot of advice to share with, with the old me who was like just diagnosed with cancer and going through treatment. Like I really, I really had no clue about what was going on. I mean, is there anything that you could have done differently in, in, in retrospect? And I know there's no such a thing as hindsight, but like if you, if you had that chance, would you have done anything differently to, to make it easier for yourself? Yeah, I would have for sure. <laughs> Uh, but the first thing is I wouldn't have kept working. And, you know, and at the time, you know, we had a mortgage and kids at school and, uh, it was, it was a pretty tough time. But I do remember after one of the operations, I think I might have been out of hospital by one or two days. It was a very short period of time at home resting. And then I flew down to Adelaide for a day's work, you know, for our business. And I was a, I was a mess. <laughs> I think I slept the entire way down in, you know, taxis, trains, planes, you know, I just was slept. <laughs> and when I got there, you know, I wasn't on my on my game and coming back I did the same thing and, and then I had re- physical ramifications the next day of just pushing myself too hard. And so I think the first thing I do is find a way of stopping work for a bit. You know, not permanently, but dropping back to part-time or something or other. Now, you know, running your own business is actually a lot harder to do that than it looks because, you know, you, 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 you've got to bring the business in, you've got to deliver the business, you've got to build a business. I mean, you're doing it all yourself. Now, we've got staff, but you've still got to run the ship. And, uh, you know, my, my silliness was to try to keep doing that rather than just say, you know what, guys, I, this week, forget about it. I'm not, I'm just not here. I won't be able to do a thing. I'm not picking up the phone. I'm not doing my emails. I'm doing nothing. You know, I'm sorry. I've just got to go and get better. It would have been better for me to do that the three times that I went to the hospital. Then. So that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the second thing, Joe, that I've learned is that um, the ramifications of some of the treatment are not to be underplayed. I'd I was, you know, I thought I was reasonably fit, and I'd come out the end, you know, with a with a smaller number of uh, ramifications on my health than I did, uh, and therefore my recuperation was a lot longer than what I thought. You know, I, I mentally and physically, I took four years out of the five years, you know, in, in my particular case before I actually started feeling at all well. To be honest, you know, to be brutally honest, I did not feel well mentally or physically for four years. And, uh, you know, that became a real drag, you know, I must say it was a drag on me. It was a drag on my family, yeah. it was, you know, the business because I just wasn't feeling well. And, uh, I think that was a mistake. I, I, I look back over some of my notes and, you know, people were talking about, you know, mental fog, for example, Joe, and you remember this, I'm sure. But that mm-hmm. mental fog, that, that took a long time before that dissipated. And, and then, you know, I have another procedure and I'd get it back again for, a, you know, a period of months. So I think I was a bit silly in thinking that uh, I'd be able to come out the end of the mental and physical implications of these of the treatments fairly quickly. It's just you don't know until you've done it. I think that I would have been much wiser if I'd gone, I don't know, let's see how I feel and then I'll plan my way forward. I just, <laughs> I didn't do that and that was stupid, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I guess, yeah, you, you kind of sometimes feel like you just want to break on through and sometimes that's that may not be the best way to go. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly right. That's well put, Joe. But what are the top three things that, that, that helped you deal with cancer on, I guess, on a daily basis, like physically, mentally, emotionally? What comes to mind? Great question. So um, let's take all of those three things. So physically, um, 
I was very fit before the first of the three uh, operations I had, and I'm very glad I did that. <laughs> uh, and in fact, um, in one of the the, uh, the the guys that I'm currently talking with through Cancer Connect um, as a peer support person, uh, I did make a big point of this, um, and it was interesting that the person I was speaking with sort of said, well, as a matter of fact, I don't think I'm that fit. You know, maybe I do need to spend a lot more time getting fit. And I said, well, look, I don't know, but I tell you, I thought I was super fit and, and I struggled getting through three operations, you know, in a period of 12 months that just knocked me about. So I think, I think, uh, uh, getting fit physically was, is definitely, um, uh, one of the top three things. I think mentally, and it may not suit everyone, Joe, but certainly in my case, I needed to get real very quickly in my head about what this thing was all about. I, I didn't paper over it. I didn't say, oh, look, you know, it'll be fine. I'm sure, you know, the medicos, they know what they're doing. You know, the hospitals are good. The treatments are proven. I didn't say that to myself. I went, okay, I'm going to find a, a stack of problems in here somewhere. Uh, I, I need to be realistic about this. It's going to be a difficult process. I need to get myself mentally ready to, to wrestle with this process and to interact with it and make sure that, you know, I drive an outcome out of this that's good. I didn't let it happen to me. I guess that's the way, Joe, that I'm trying to express that I tried to get into the situation and, 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 and drive it. Uh, and I think that helped a lot mentally. It wasn't happening to me as opposed to me managing it, if, if, if that makes sense. Yep. And then I think your third area is around financially. And yeah, look. <laughs> That's a great question. We had income protection. We were, you know, when I say we, the, the business and myself. So, um, on the days where I just couldn't work, you know, I just couldn't get out of bed and just, uh, mentally not there or physically not there. Then, you know, I, I had income coming in, but I, what I don't think I did that well, which I'd probably change if it ever happened to me and, you know, touch wood, it won't. Uh, and that, and that is that I needed to get my head into the space of, okay, I'm going to go back financially. I'm going backwards financially. We're going to own more money at the end of this than we did. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing I can do about that. I can't be Superman and try to work and do this thing at the same time. So I think if I release some of the pressure off me to keep the financial trend line going so that, you know, we're still making our savings target and still putting money towards super and doing all those things. I think if I'd been a little bit more realistic about not trying to do that. Uh, and just accept the financial consequences for a period of time, I think that would have been a lot better because uh, it, it, it did cause some issues that were just unnecessary in terms of clashes of dates, you know, and, you know, well, I can't go into hospital that week because I'm going to be in New Zealand, so I'm going to do it the week after and, you know, think just stupid things like that. So I think I think getting my head around, okay, we're going to go backwards. I'm not going to put that much pressure on me. Let's get this thing done at the optimum time. Let's not put it off. Let's go. I think that would have been a better way of going, actually. Yeah, for sure, Matt. And that, I think one of the things that keeps coming through for me from what you're saying is that, and I think that uh, that's true for all of us guys, is that we just put so much pressure on ourselves to yeah. be this or that. And, and it's, it, it's, it, it's just takes us back really it, it's it's not helpful no no you're right it, 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 it causes issues physically emotionally and financially that are unnecessary you know so yeah you're right mate great point yeah matt and, and um can you please talk about what cancer connect is i know you've, you're doing some fantastic work um, around that so how does it work and why did you get involved 
So why does it work? It's one-on-one peer support, um, but it has a very important aspect of it, and that is that only first names are used and we don't um, share our phone numbers or anything about where we live. Now, why that's important is it enables two strangers to just talk about the facts without worrying about anything. Like, you know, I'm just Matt. They don't know who I am, where I live, what my phone number is, and I can just say, you know, because they're not going to ever work out who I am, this is my experience. Uh, boots and all, this is what happened to me. And, and take from this experience whatever you can in terms of your own situation. So it, can, it, it enables a great deal of honesty. I think that's why it works. To answer your second part of your question, Joe, why I got involved, um, you know, Edmund Hillary, because it's there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it's there, you know, and I thought, well, I came across it, as you know, because it was one of the organisations that uh, I turned to in those, those early days of educating ourselves. But I thought, well, you know, if I've got an opportunity there and I can help someone with my experience, then I'll do it, you know, because it's there. Absolutely. And it's one of those things I only found out about it. Like uh, after the fact, I, I found the brochure somewhere and I, and I went like, why didn't I know about this when yeah. I was going through treatment? <laughs> you know, in Australia, with only, I think, one exception, which is Darwin at the moment, and I'm sure the state territory government up there is you know, working hard to address it, there's, there's a lot of resources available in each of our capital cities. We're, we're actually very blessed that way. And so, uh, you know, most of the population have got um, a huge amount of state and federal help that they can get um, for very little cost, if not no cost at all. Yeah, you're, you're spot on, Matt. And I think there's absolutely nothing like hearing about cancer experience from someone who's been there from someone who went exactly through what you're going through who's been through this journey i know i know i, sp- I spent a lot of time on on the forums online and, and i think that's a good way to go because it really gives you perspective of the people who've been down that road before right yes exactly right um, Matt, now i know that one thing that comes up for me and i think for everyone going through cancer is the fear of it coming back uh, did that happen to you <laughs> and if so like what would you recommend to someone in terms of dealing with it in a better way look this is a really good question if you'd asked me that question a month ago i would have given you a different answer than i'm going to give you tonight because i actually in the last, <laughs> hours, in the last 24 hours i'm starting to have some symptoms uh, that i had five years ago now oh, logically no. i know they can't be related to the same thing because I had that taken out of me, right? So I know that that's not in my body anymore, that particular cancer. But because of the same symptoms, my emotional reaction is quite hard to manage. So it's almost like my heart at the moment is overriding my head. And I'm, you know, I've, I've already been to see my GP uh, today and sort of had a bit of a conversation about, you know, let's, let's see what we can do here just to allay some uh, some fears that are starting to come back. So it's a, it's a big issue, and and I've noticed talking with others that you don't really ever get over this. You you kind of on the watch, if I can call it that, forever. You're you're looking at the same sort of symptoms. You're thinking about you know uh, what could be happening. You can't turn that channel off. So it really comes down to Joe. What can I do? to manage this little emotional channel that's going off all the time. And and I certainly have found it 
very good to take up a particular type of sport. Now, everybody's got their preferences, but what I'm getting at is you need to choose, I think, a sport that is a very mental sport as well as a physical sport because you've got to stop the thinking for a little bit. You've got to give your mind a bit of a break. Now, you can do that different ways. I mean, some people tell me they can do that with meditation. They can actually turn their heads off and, and not have this emotional reaction when they're meditating. Great. I, for some reason, I can't do that. My brain just keeps going. I can't stop it. But I do find uh, that this particular sport, which I took up five years ago, which is surfing, tends to be very good for us blokes because you can't surf and think about something else at the same time. You literally can't do it. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like playing soccer. I've heard other blokes say, well, you know, Matt, that's interesting. It's the same with soccer. You can't play soccer and think about something else because you're going to miss the ball or yep. whatever. <laughs> so I think I think my, my short answer to you is you're right, Joe. It's a big issue. It's a lot bigger than it looks. And that we need to find as blokes something to do to, to just turn off that emotional channel for a little bit and give ourselves a mental break from it. Absolutely. And do you find that something like, uh, you know, doing things like Cancer Connect, where you, you're doing something that is almost in a way bigger than yourself, right? Do you find that that helps you as well? Well, that's a great question. Um, Look, personally, I find it very rewarding to talk with someone who is full of questions and, and sometimes quite fearful. Talking it out can be a really good thing because we often don't do that, as you and I have been talking about already. Uh, and I find it very rewarding to just listen and to just go, aha, uh-huh, yep, yep, that sounds right, that sounds par for the course. You know, just some of that sort of thing where somebody feels like they're being listen to and I'm not providing advice because that's not what we do at Cancer Connect and I I also find it a nice thing to be able to say to someone you know um, if I think you're in danger to yourself at the moment I'm going to strongly recommend you go and get some help you know because it's it's not something to be um, trivialized you know and I find that quite useful and you know just on occasion last week not through Cancer Council but another forum I actually did take action on behalf of someone that I I said, look, you know, I, I just don't think you're coping and I think you need to talk to someone I'm going to get someone to ring you, you know, and you can make your decision on whether uh, you want to take that call or not. I found that was just a really rewarding thing to be able to do. Good on you, Matt. That's, that's such a fantastic thing to do. And and I know that you have you have your own uh, business with your wife and, and you mentioned that it was, it was a challenge uh, to keep it going. I mean, so... What was it like and how did it all work out and just what, what did you learn along the way? Well, great question. The first thing I noticed um, was not to tell people that I had it. Uh, I noticed, you know, that the dynamic that you get between yourself and a client when you divulge that, you know, you're going through cancer is not what you expect. Oh, wow. <laughs> Look, I, I get it. I, I totally get it from their perspective. You know, they need... You know, they need a service provided to them. They've used us before. They've got a very good uh, outcome and they want the same outcome again. They've got a short period of time and there you are saying, look, you know, as a matter of fact, I can't do that day because I'm going into hospital. Oh, why are you going to hospital? Well, as a matter of fact, you know, I've got cancer and then there's this complete silence, Joe. Wow. (laughs) No. So uh, I I learned not to talk about it with clients, uh, which is a bit – Unusual for me. I, I do like being open and transparent. But anyway, I discovered that that's not a good idea. Let's not do that. I just simply said I wasn't available. I think the second thing is we did have to get a lot more help in the business because um, I just wasn't able to do what I normally did. 
Uh, and so that that cost us money and other bits and pieces, but you know it was a brutal reality. We're just not going to get through this unless we get some more help in here, and that might mean that we don't make as much profit. But so be it. At least we'll continue out the other end. I think the third thing is that you know my wife and I put in place rules about what we're not going to talk about over dinner. You know. <laughs> And uh, one of those one of those things was actually me saying, well, I don't want to talk about cancer over dinner, you know, and my wife would say, well, I don't want to talk about business over dinner, so, <laughs> so <laughs> we, we ended up not having very much to talk about at some points, and, and uh, what I'm getting at is that you know, she, she wanted to talk about cancer, and I, and, and, and I wanted to talk about the business, you know, <laughs> so we, we, we had a bit of a, a tense time there at the start, sort of going, well, how are we going to do this, you know, I, I understand you want to talk about cancer, well, I want to do it over dinner, so we're going, when are we going to do that? And, and vice versa with me wanting to talk about the business. But we, 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 we found ways of doing that with morning walks and getting coffees and things like that. And, um, yeah, look, it's, it's, uh, it's a difficult thing. I mean, I, there's many more positives than negatives about working with, with your wife in the, in the business, I think. But uh, that's when business is business as usual, Joe. When you're also dealing with cancer and you've got a business, that yeah, puts a lot of extra stress on things. Yes, I can imagine. I know, Matt, that you do a lot of work around coaching to enable people to get to the they want to be in, the, in terms of the success. So has cancer changed your perspective on that? Is, is your approach now different? That's a great question. The answer is yes. But it, it, it perhaps for an unusual reason, uh, as, a, as, a, as a professional workplace coach, um, we are – and I am driven very much to get an outcome, you know, on behalf of our, our client. We, we're there to support them to achieve their goals in the way they want to in the time frame they want. And, of course, sometimes, Joe, you know, in the process of supporting them, you know, they, they didn't do what they said they were going to do or they didn't do it in the time frame or sometimes they even changed their goals radically, you know. And I think what my experience of, of coming through cancer has allowed me to do is go, you know what, that's all right. That's okay. Yeah, we're human. And sometimes what we set out to do is not what we're ultimately going to do or we're not going to do it that particular way or we're not going to do it in that particular time frame, and that is okay. And I've noticed that that's a little counterintuitive and some of my coaches are going, well, that's very refreshing, that's really great. And other times uh, my coaches have said, well, that's weird, aren't you supposed to continue, <laughs> you know, keeping me <laughs> under uh, and making me accountable for my, my actions and so forth, you know. So, and I say, well, actually, if you want to change your direction and you want to change your time frame, you want to change your goal, you want to change what you're doing, that's perfectly okay for me. My job is as your coach to support you. So it's, it's actually helped me a lot um, to, to reflect back on those times through cancer and the sort of the missteps that I made and the delays and, the, you know, all that sort of stuff because now I'm able to apply it. And it seems to actually help my coaches quite a bit. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because that's really a completely different perspective. Yes, it has. Indeed, it has. And uh, Matt, I know that for, uh, for me, cancer has really forced me to completely change my priority. And, and probably forced is not, not the right word. I mean, I chose to, to have completely different priorities in life. Well, not maybe completely different, but it's, you know, the way I look at life is definitely now different. Did you go through a similar experience? I did. I did. Uh, and I'm glad you're asking that question because 
I want to say that before cancer, for me, the concept of work-life balance was just something you've said in order to get a tick in the box, you know, um, to say that you were aware of it. And, you know, I remember my GP every year going, you know, how are you going with your work-life balance? Yeah, I'm going really well. This is what I'm doing. I was paying lip service to that, Joe, I must say. Absolute lip service to it. <laughs> wasn't taken serious at all. Uh, and as soon as I got sick and had to deal with some of the implications of the illness, I started to get serious real fast about things like uh, physical health and spending proper time each week um, maintaining my fitness. So not just, you know, when I could fit it in, I was actually fitting my work life around making sure I was physically fit, you know, so I really turned it around. Same thing with my mental health. On those days when I had that fog, you know, I remember I remember once, Joe, maybe you had a similar experience. I was in a meeting with a client. We were adding up numbers, you know, to do with my proposal or our proposal and looking for ways to get agreement on price, you know, and I was adding two numbers together going, what? It doesn't even add up. My <laughs> brain has totally lost the ability to add two numbers together, you know, and that's a mental health problem. That's, you know, that's, that's a real-life issue. And uh, I do the same around that now. I, I, I actually never deprioritize uh, the time that I need to ensure that my mental health is is optimized. And and I've got a little phrase that one of my coaches gave me the other day, which I thought was really, really very instructive. And she called it um, de-speeding. In other words, right. take the speed and the pace out of what I'm doing so that I maintain optimal mental and physical health. I think that's a really beautiful little word, and uh, it encapsulates what I've been doing. I've been de-speeding. I actually don't try to do as much as I used to do. And that's had some pretty wide-ranging implications. You know, I've decided there are certain types of clients that I don't want to serve. I don't want to have as my clients, and I've said no and turned away business, and it's actually been a fantastic thing for my physical and mental health because uh, I'm under less stress and I have more time to maintain these optimal levels that I'm talking about. Same thing with business partnerships. I've described that certain types of partnerships were just destructive. You know, the, there wasn't a benefit in them, and we, we just stopped those partnerships. We just terminated them, and that was a very good thing to do. And so to answer your question, prioritizing physical and mental health has now become an actual thing rather than me just talking about it. <laughs> yes, yeah. You almost eliminate things by by nature. Yeah, exactly right, Joe. Exactly right. Yeah, but uh, recently I heard Brendan Bichard, like who's my, my favorite expert on self-improvement, I heard him talk about like the perfect day and that, that most people don't really know what it looks like for them. So they never really experience it. But you know what? Like I, I had so many perfect days since cancer because like I started appreciating everything that I took for granted every day. And I was, I was actually conscious uh, about how I went designing my day. What's your take on that? I think you're right. In, in fact, I, you know, just listening to you then, I, I can think of a couple of examples today where I just paused and said a silent, you know, um, how grateful am I? to myself um, about what's happening. I'm much more aware of the good things that are happening and and, I'm, and I want to spend a little bit of time during my day actually celebrating that and going, gee, that was crazy. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to, oh, no, look at my to-do list. It's three pages long. You know, so I, think, I, I think you make a great <laughs> point. There. And I've certainly caught myself doing that. 
And Matt, if, if you had a minute with someone who recently got diagnosed with cancer, what would you tell them? I think I'd tell them two things. First of all, go and educate yourself as best as you possibly can and spend as much time as you can understanding what treatment options you've got, what the implications of them are, um, how long it's going to take to recuperate and ask as many questions as you possibly can of the medical people you're interacting with to ensure that you know what you're about to do and that you can actually manage your own situation from a, a logical perspective. The second thing I'd say is do the same thing with your emotions. So work out what type of emotions you are likely to feel by, by talking to people who have been through it. Is it fear? Is it fear of what? Is it going to be um, the fear of the unknown? You know, like try to, to really be um, brutal about confronting the emotions that you're feeling. And, and here's my thing, and if you think you need help, you should go and get help to manage your own emotions because the system or the process, if you like, you're going to go through medically is not going to help you at all in terms of self-management. You're going to have to look out for yourself and be ready to tell people how you feel. And most importantly, if you just don't think you're, you're doing it, you're not managing yourself very well, then to stop and go, okay, I need some help. Someone give me a phone number. I'm making a phone call right now. I'm going to talk to someone about getting some help right away. Someone give me a phone number. You're going to have to do that because the the process you're going to go through is not really designed to help you manage yourself. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's great advice, Matt. And I really want to thank you for your time and for you for your honesty, because that's not easy, and for being able to articulate this this uh, incredible complexity that comes with cancer. So thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate it. It's been a great pleasure, and and Joe, keep up the good work. You're doing a really good job just bringing this sort of stuff to people's consciousness. So you know, well done. You keep doing that. Thanks, Matt. I will. Trust me, I will. <laughs> Good night. Let me know if you need anything else. I'll be very happy to help you out. Thank you so much, man. Good night. See you later.